Hey guys, Brendan Boylan here, host of the Houdat Discussion. You can also follow all of my other New Orleans Saints work with the Saints News Network on SI.com. Just head over to SI.com forward slash NFL forward slash Saints. If you don't already, give me and the entire team a follow. John Hendricks, Bob Rose, Kyle T. Mosley. We have some great things in the works for the 2021 season. And what a way to open up the 2021 season for the New Orleans Saints. A 38-3 victory over the Green Bay Packers in a quote-unquote home game in Jacksonville, Florida. Jameis Winston, five touchdowns in that game. But before we jump too far into the recap of the game, my five takeaways from the game, let's hit the intro. All things New Orleans Saints. This is Who Dat Discussion. Who dat? Who dat? Who dat? Who dat? Who dat? Say they Powered by Overtime Media. Well, guys, I don't know if anyone could have predicted what the New Orleans Saints did to the Green Bay Packers on Sunday. If you look across national media, whether that was ESPN, NFL Network, Fox, All their analysts had the Green Bay Packers defeating the New Orleans Saints, and many of them in blowout fashion. It was the exact opposite as the New Orleans Saints were dominant from start to finish. I mentioned the score once. We'll mention again 38-3 in favor of the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Jameis Winston led the way passing 14-20 of for 148 yards, five touchdowns, no sacks on Jameis Winston. Taysom Hill also completed one pass for three yards. Uh, Alvin Kamara, 20 carries, 83 yards, no touchdowns on the ground. Tony Jones Jr. in his new role as the number two running back for the Saints, he had 11 carries for 50 yards. Uh, And receiving, Deontay Harris led the way. He obviously had the one big touchdown grab of 55 yards, but he finished with two receptions for 72 yards. And then how about Jawan Johnson? Three catches, 21 yards, and his first two touchdowns of his NFL career. The Saints defense uh, was lights out as well. One sack in the game that belonged to, make that two sacks in the game, it was Marcus Davenport and uh, Passanio. They came up with the sacks for New Orleans. Two interceptions, one going to Paulson Debo, the other Marcus Williams. But man, let's jump into my five takeaways from this matchup. Now, my first takeaway was even with a new quarterback, the New Orleans Saints offensive game plan near flawless. You look at what the New Orleans Saints were able to do in the first half of the matchup and... The Saints held the ball for over 21 minutes of the first half. They also pieced together back-to-back scoring drives of over 15 plays. That's the first Saints team to do that since the year 2000. Yeah, Drew Brees never did that in his time with the New Orleans Saints. You have to go all the way back to the last quarterback to start a game for the Saints that wore the number two, Aaron Brooks. Um, you also just look at the first half as a whole. Alvin Kamara got involved early, tallying 72 all-purpose yards. And Jameis Winston didn't do anything over the top. Was not that usual gunslinger that we saw 
in Tampa Bay, but rather he controlled the game. He was a little bit more conservative, and he ends up finding Jawan Johnson uh, for the second touchdown of the first half, and props to Jawan Johnson, especially on that first touchdown. Jameis threw it up there, and Jawan with that big body just boxed a guy out, uh, caught the ball, and even tapped the top of his head, uh, just like a lot of NBA players do after a dunk because he got up there and he grabbed it. The first touchdown of the game for New Orleans was a touch pass forward to Alvin Kamara on a sweep, and Kamara was able to, as he always does, break a few tackles and find his way into the end zone. So a near-flawless performance in the first half, and I think it has to be said as well, with all the adversity that the Saints are facing, and I don't think that was talked about enough in the national media. I have to tip my cap to Rich Eisen that talked about it um, yesterday on Monday. Just talking about the fact that this is a team that is displaced at the moment, right? The New Orleans Saints have been practicing in Dallas. They practiced at TCU. Then they fly out for a home game in Jacksonville. Their families have been uh, with them. That was one thing that the New Orleans Saints coaching staff and front office wanted to make sure they did is it's one thing to be displaced. It's another thing to be displaced without your family. So a lot of families getting a chance to know each other uh, through this time and even saw a, a cute video or picture on social media posted by the New Orleans Saints. It was P.J. Williams uh, and his French Bulldog uh, before the game in Jacksonville just you can definitely sense that this is a this is a New Orleans Saints locker room that is just as close as ever. Uh, but they did have to overcome a lot of adversity. As I said at the top, you have a quote-unquote home game in Jacksonville. And for those that were there, for those that watched it on TV, I think there was a, a stunning difference in the amount of Green Bay Packer fans that were there opposed to the New Orleans Saints fans and the Houdat Nation. So... The Saints getting this done in essentially a road game in their first game in 15, first opening game in 15 years without Drew Brees as the starting quarterback and Sean Payton's game plan and uh, Jameis Winston, it, it seemed like they were on the same page. It seemed like they executed the plan to perfection. And you look back at the statistics, and there's nothing about the statistics that jump off the page at you in terms of yards. Obviously, Winston's five touchdowns, but the Saints were just efficient. It wasn't that they, outside of the one play to Deontay Harris, they weren't picking the Packers apart for 20 yards here, 15 yards here, etc., etc. The Saints were able to methodically move the football, keep the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands, get a lead, and force Rodgers to throw the football. Which brings me into my second takeaway of the game. And it goes back to an article written on the Saints News Network on SI.com earlier this week. Uh, it was by Bob Rose, and it was talking about the New Orleans Saints' rush defense against the Green Bay Packers rushing offense. And, you know, Bob caught a little bit of heat from Saints Twitter and, and uh, some of the followers and, and fans on Facebook as well, but he suggested that it may sound blasphemous, but the biggest key to New Orleans' victory over Green Bay, and this was before the game, obviously, 
may be to shut down the run and put the ball in the hands of Aaron Rodgers. Now, yes, sounds a little bit crazy. Why would the Saints want the reigning MVP, a three-time MVP, a Super Bowl champion, a future Hall of Famer, why would you put the ball or want to put the ball in his hands? Well, Matt LaFleur and the way his offense is structured is much like Sean Payton. It thrives off of balance. And the Packers were never really able to get anything going on the ground. That's even with Aaron Jones, who, um, in my opinion, is is a top five running back in the league. And that certainly showed in my fantasy draft when I was able to select him as, as my running back too. Um, but the Packers got down so quickly, they only end up carrying the ball 15 times. 15 times in the game, only five carries for Aaron Jones. He finished with nine rushing yards. The The Packers' leading rusher was actually A.J. Dillon, their backup. He had four carries for 19 yards. And obviously, for majority of the fourth quarter, the starters for the Packers were not in the ball game. As at that point, uh, the game was essentially over. But the Saints came off of a season where... They were allowing just 94 yards per game on the ground last year. Uh, Only allowed 11 rushing touchdowns, which was the league's best. The New Orleans Saints have been top five in in rush defense over the last few years. Uh, You heard on the broadcast they were one of only two defenses to finish in the top five in both against the pass and the run last year, the only other team being the Los Angeles Rams. But listen, Bob was right. This is a Packers team that was averaging north of 130 yards per game in 2020, which ranked them as a top 10 rushing offense in all of football. Aaron Jones had a little bit of a breakout year. A.J. Dillon was expected to be a much larger part of the offense with uh, Jamal Williams exiting for the Detroit Lions. And you had this, you don't want to call it quite thunder and lightning because I don't think Jones is as electric as some of the other backs in the league, but you had a guy like Dylan who uh, is just a massive, massive human being um, at six foot, nearly 250 pounds. You have a guy like Aaron Jones who can do a little bit of everything offensively for you, but the fact that the Saints made the Packers one-dimensional, whether that was planned by the defense or the fact that the Saints got out to a little bit of a lead and Matt LaFleur maybe hit the panic button a little bit too quick, but they forced Aaron Rodgers to throw the football. And Rodgers finished 15 of 28, 133 yards, two interceptions, and he was sacked one time. That was by Marcus Davenport in the game. And and Rodgers finishes with a with a total QBR of 13.4 and a quarterback rating of 36.8. New Orleans was able to put the pressure on Rodgers, make the team one-dimensional, and that was by eliminating the rushing attack, which, as I said earlier, Bob caught a lot of flack for that piece earlier this week, and I understand why. And he even said it himself in the piece. It was blasphemous 
to even suggest that that might be the way the Saints win the game. But hindsight's always twenty twenty, and it looks like Bob was right. The key to the New Orleans Saints' victory over the Green Bay Packers was by making them one-dimensional and shutting down that rushing attack. So tip of the cap to a friend and colleague over at Saints News, Bob Rose. That's my second takeaway. The Saints shut the Packers down by making them one-dimensional offensively. My third takeaway in what was a game that I don't think a lot of us saw coming, and I know I didn't see coming. Um, I projected the Saints to win the game earlier this week on a podcast, um, a Green Bay Packers podcast here on the Overtime Sports Media Outlet. Uh, projected the Saints to win by three. Didn't project the Saints to win by 35. But my second, t- or third takeaway rather, is that this defense's offseason hype is very real. Um, the New Orleans Saints defense was hyped throughout the offseason, whether it was John Hendricks, whether it was Nick Underhill, whether it was Amy Just, whether it was the multitude of great writers and reporters that we have in the New Orleans area covering this football team, it seemed like the consensus throughout was that this defense, despite the losses that they had in... Sheldon Rankins moving on, David Onyemata being suspended, the loss of Janoris Jenkins, lots of question marks at the linebacker two spot and the cornerback two spot, that this defense was going to be very, very good. Um, and, And right back to where they were, like I said, despite all of the question marks and all the changes from last year's defense, it was always... Defense won this portion of training camp, or uh, defense shines in training camp day, what have you. And I don't know if that was not something I fully believed. I knew the Saints defense would be good. It would be on par with some of the teams we've seen over the last four years, and some of those teams were definitely opportunistic defenses, opposed to being really, really good defenses. And it's only one game, so you don't want to overreact too much. But man, the defense looked not just good, but that was one of the closest lights-out performances that I can think of off the top of my head by Saints defense over the last five, maybe even ten years and just dominating the performance. Obviously, the other one, Tampa Bay, uh, last year, 38-3. to I believe the Saints shut out Tampa Bay in one of John Vilma's last years in New Orleans. Those are some performances that stick out. But man, this was against one of the most dangerous offenses in football. This is against the reigning MVP. This is against a team that many of us expect to compete for the NFC title. And they came out and shut them down. Aaron Rodgers threw just five interceptions in 2020. And he threw two second-half interceptions. One in the red zone to Paulson Adebo, who made his NFL debut. Don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but 
I had alluded to in the pregame show with Saints News Network that Paulson was going to be baptized by fire, and wouldn't it be something if his first career interception comes in his NFL debut against a guy like Aaron Rodgers? Don't want to say I called it, but I might have called it. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, that was Rodgers' first red zone interception since 2019. We talk so much about how poor Aaron Rodgers looked, and so does the national media, but not enough about how good this Saints defense was. It's not like Aaron Rodgers just woke up and said, you know what, I'm not going to be Aaron Rodgers today. I'm just going to play very poor uh, in week one in what is potentially my final year in Green Bay. No, no, no. New Orleans forced... Aaron Rodgers to be uncomfortable. That shows in the fact that the Saints surrendered just one third down conversion in the contest. The Packers were one of ten on third down, and that one conversion did not come from an Aaron Rodgers-led Green Bay Packer offense. Instead, it came from Jordan Love in the fourth quarter when both teams started emptying their benches. The Packers' offense concluded Sunday's action with just 229 yards of total offense, three turnovers, and 25 minutes of possession. Now, the possession numbers looks a lot better than they did. You know, I alluded to in my first takeaway that the Saints uh, did a fantastic job in the first half possessing the ball for 21 minutes. The possession numbers for the Packers certainly look better. And again, a lot of that has to do with garbage time. But man, this Saints defense made Aaron Rodgers uncomfortable. Guys stepped up. Marshawn Lattimore was out at the beginning, right? Out of the game. Did not come out of the locker room until later in the second half uh, with a wrist injury, which he will have surgery on to repair. But we don't talk about the fact that, okay, Paulson Adebo was essentially, I don't even think there's an essentially about it, Paulson Adebo was forced to play that cornerback one role for a piece of the ball game, an extended piece of the ball game, while Desmond Trufant, who was signed less than a week ago, came in and played cornerback two. And it was on that series the Saints force a red zone interception. Cam Jordan didn't get a sack, but he was he pressured the quarterback all day. Davenport looked good. He has an injury to, to a peck that we're still waiting to hear the uh, severity of the injury. But it was across the board, guys stepped up. Quan Alexander had a phenomenal game. Phenomenal game. And Quan Alexander's eight months removed from an Achilles tear on Christmas Day. You can point all across the board to this New Orleans Saints defense and say, well, this guy stepped up, and this guy stepped up, and this guy played well. And, whew, they're just living up to all the hype that they had over the offseason. Watching a little bit of the tape back, the Saints secondary was very good. It wasn't that Aaron Rodgers had no time to throw. It's that there was no one getting open. 
Saints DBs were plastered to Green Bay Packers receivers, tight ends, running backs. And again, you don't want to overreact over one game. But man, that Saints defense looked very, very good. And maybe even better than that hype they had in training camp and in the preseason. Well, guys, I have two more takeaways, but we're going to take a short break. You're listening to the Houdat Discussion Podcast. Well, guys, I don't think we could have a takeaways podcast without talking about Jameis Winston and highlighting him and his performance as an entire takeaway. But I'm going to change it a little bit. It's not just taking away from his performance on the field. I'm going to label this takeaway as Jameis Winston listened to Drew Brees' off-season advice. And Terry Bradshaw said it after the game in Fox's The O.T., when discussing Jameis Winston and after Winston's interview post-game had aired, he said that Jameis just sounds like a completely different person. And I agree. And that is something that I've said for quite a while now, is that this just, it's almost like something just clicked in his, in his head. But this is not the Jameis Winston at Florida State. This is not the Jameis Winston throughout the early years of his career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is a matured Jameis Winston. And I I listened back to a couple interviews that Jameis did over the course of the offseason. And one of my favorite ones is actually Jameis's first media availability after he officially re-signed with the Saints. That came back in March about a week after the official retirement of Drew Brees. And a lot of Saints fans know the emotional clip where Jameis is talking about his relationship with Drew Brees and how much it meant to him to have Drew as a mentor, even if it was just one year. But there's another quote in that media availability that really stuck out to me. And it is Jameis talking about his relationship with Drew and any advice that Drew had shared with them. And it's this, quote, Be the best version of yourself. Like, that's what Drew Brees would tell me. You be Jameis Winston. You don't have to be Drew Brees, right? End quote. Again, that coming back on March the 23rd of 2021. But that sticks out to me. And it sticks out to me because... If you go way back to 2019, when the Saints had Teddy Bridgewater lead the team for a stretch because Drew was out because of injury, Teddy Bridgewater, in an interview with Fox, also echoed something very similar. And that how he used to break the huddle in New Orleans by saying, be you. And Teddy had tremendous success in New Orleans, signed that big contract with Carolina, uh, was the highest 
graded quarterback in terms of total QBR in week one with his debut with the Denver Broncos. And, uh, you know, at least for me, Teddy Bridgewater has a fan, a fan for life, just the amount of adversity that he overcame to put himself back in a position to be one of the best 32 quarterbacks in the NFL. But there, there seemed to be a trend there. Teddy said, be you. Jameis said that Drew said, you be Jameis Winston, you don't have to be Drew Brees. Jameis went on later in an interview with ESPN and said, be Bruce Wayne until you have to be Batman, which is essentially taking what Drew had already told him and, and putting a new twist on it. I think it shows the level of growth and maturity in Jameis Winston to realize when taking this position to be the new quarterback of the New Orleans Saints, it's a difficult one. One, because you're you're coming in and you're replacing not just the greatest player in the history of the New Orleans Saints, you're replacing a future Hall of Famer, you're replacing someone who meant so much to the community. I said it on a previous podcast, I mean, Drew could run for for mayor of New Orleans or governor of Louisiana, he'd probably win. You're replacing someone of that caliber. So there's a lot more that goes into taking over as the quarterback of the New Orleans Saints than just your play on the field. Yes, you're responsible for your play on the field. Yes, um, there is no relationship quite like the relationship between the city of New Orleans and their New Orleans Saints, and there's a lot of pressure to win football games. But it's also your relationship with that community, right? It's not just your play on the field. It's also how you how you are in the New Orleans community. Uh, you have to shoulder a lot, and you have to applaud Jameis. You go back to earlier in the week when he opened up his media availability by thanking first responders and the people that were were there in New Orleans um, making a difference um, and with their help helping the city be resilient. But that word of advice, be the best version of yourself, you be Jameis Winston, didn't just apply, like I said, to the game. It applied throughout the week. It, it applied throughout the previous few weeks where Jameis was himself and understood his, his position, his role as the quarterback of the New Orleans Saints in the community, off the field, but also understood them on the field. And when it comes to on the field, you look back at a play, and Joe Buck and Troy Aikman referenced it a few times in the broadcast, where Jameis Winston had all day to throw. But opposed to trying to force something down the field and, and squeeze a football into a tight window, Winston just chucked it over the head of Alvin Kamara in the flats and lived lived to fight another day. And they said, well, that's not something Jameis would have done in Tampa Bay. And they're 100% right. But Jameis played within himself. He didn't play within the ideology of a coach, the ideology of an offensive coordinator that wanted to see him take risks and take shots like he did in Bruce Arians' offense. That resulted in, 
you know, the 30 interception season. But he understood and lived in the ideology of be Jameis Winston, do what's best for the New Orleans Saints to live to fight another day. I mean, you look at the stats, and I referenced it at the top of the broadcast. Jameis was 14 of 20, 148 yards. Nothing about that jumps off the screen at you. Outside the fact, well, he was efficient. He was, you know, 14 of 20. That's over 66% completion percentage. But it was the five touchdowns. It was the decision-making. It was understanding what he had to do to be successful. It was picking up three first downs with his legs. It was understanding not throwing and forcing anything downfield. It was being Jameis Winston. And I say that with a smile because the talent for Jameis Winston has always been there. Florida State. Tampa Bay. Pro Bowl in Tampa. Great rookie season. 30 touchdowns, 5,000 yards. But it finally seems like he's pieced it all together. And you're finally seeing the true version of Jameis Winston. And I hope this is just a launching point for what could be a resurgence and a second beginning in Winston's career. Uh, You don't see a whole lot of true opportunities like that for quarterbacks in the NFL. Um... So I hope that this is the resurgence and the second start of Winston's career. Uh, My final takeaway is that this Saints team may be better than what I gave them credit for. You know, we had uh, people ask all the time, especially before the season, Brendan. What's your prediction? What's what's the Saints record prediction? How good are the Saints going to be this year? Oh, no more Drew Brees. I even got asked earlier in the week, was Jameis Winston an upgrade over Drew Brees? I mean, you get thrown with so many questions in the preseason. And my general thought was that the Saints would finish around 10 and 7. Somewhere in that range make a wild card spot and see what happens from there. You know, the saying goes is once you get in, in, into the dance, anything can happen. Well, maybe it's overreaction Monday or by the time you're listening to this overreaction Tuesday. But I think I think the Saints could be better than my previous prediction. And again, could very well be an overreaction, but I did not expect this defense to be as good, as dominant as they were in week one. And that's without pieces of the puzzle. Bradley Roby, who was suspended, and even if he wasn't suspended, like I said in the last podcast, he wasn't going to play anyway. You only had Desmond Trufant for a few days. So those are some big pieces. You still don't have Michael Thomas back, and you're not for a couple weeks, but, I mean, you saw it with Taysom Hill at quarterback last season. 
Jameis is a, for Jameis as well, Michael Thomas is going to be a huge safety net because Michael Thomas is still one of the best receivers in football. You're still figuring out what you have in Tony Jones Jr. Adam Troutman coming back from injury, maybe not 100%. Even if he was 100%, his first full year as a starter. Like, there's still a lot of pieces here that they might be in place, but the gears haven't quite started shifting yet. And I expected the Saints to be on a little bit of a slower start and things maybe not click as as quickly or as well as they did week one because those gears still need time to start shifting. And as the pieces of the puzzle continue to be put into play, this Saints team can be very good. Am I going to go out on a limb and say, oh, the Saints are going to win the NFC South? I don't know about that because Tampa Bay looked fantastic Thursday against, against Dallas. And though that was a tight game as well. But Tampa's a really good team. Even as the defending champions, and I don't know if there's going to be any of a Super Bowl hangover. They're a really talented football team. New Orleans is as well. But the Saints could go 11-6. and six. They could go 12-5. and five. And you look over their next stretch of games, and you certainly think going into the bye week, the Saints could be in a really good position. Again, I don't want to sit and say, have this crazy overreaction, oh, the Saints are the best team in football now. I'm not going to go that far. But I will go and say, this Saints team, at least after week one, is a lot better than I think myself and a lot of local media thought they were going to be. We didn't think they were going to to spiral and collapse, but we certainly thought there would be a step back in the first year without Drew Brees, with question marks to the receiving corps, to question marks at the cornerback spot, to question marks at linebacker two, with question marks just about everywhere. But this team is going to be a very good football team in 2021, and certainly, if they continue to play like it, a force to be reckoned with, a playoff team, and potentially a contender in the NFC. Well, guys, that's all the time we have for today's podcast. That's five takeaways from the New Orleans Saints' victory over the Green Bay Packers in Week 1. They defeat the reigning MVP and one of the best teams in the NFC by the score of 38-3. to Well, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at the... Who that dis D I S. If you don't already, make sure you hit that follow or that subscribe button so you get notifications anytime I release new content. If you're interested, you can also follow me on Twitter for all of my Saints work, all of my film work, all of my ESPN broadcasting work as well. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BT Boylan. It's at B T B O Y L A N. Uh, so thankful for all the love and support that I have received in my short time 
on this podcast. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of the week. I will be back sometime during the week. Obviously, we're going to preview week number two against the Carolina Panthers. I want to give you some fantasy advice this week as well. And New Orleans might have a card or two up their sleeve. We'll talk about that later this week as well. Well, as always, find your peace, spread love, practice positivity, and we'll see you the next time uh, here on the Who Dat Discussion.